Don't need no stinking water. Yeah, I'm good. <clears throat> Maybe I should have gotten the water. All right. Anyway, we'll go. <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm Kai Rizdahl. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. It is Monday today, 15th of May. Happy Monday, everybody. I'm Kimberly Adams. Thank you for joining us. Today we have our news fixes, and then we're going to let you in on what is making us smile. Uh, But before we dive in, this Wednesday, we are going to be answering your questions about the debt limit, debt ceiling, debt crisis, pick your language, and hyperbolic words, whatever. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, amen. You, know. you go. Yeah. Yeah. So if there's something you want to know for what do you want to know Wednesday on that, you can let us know. We're at 508-UB-SMART or email us at makemesmart at marketplace.org. Uh, so let us move on to the news. Kai, why don't you go? We ahead? shall do that. We, uh, I will. We've, we've, each, we've each got a lot of news here. Holy cow. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to skip the one that's first on my thing because I did it on the radio show this afternoon and I don't like to um, duplicate content. Here, though, is what I am going to talk about. I'm going to talk about uh, just how close to the debt limit we are and what mm-hmm. is happening already because Republicans in Congress are holding the full faith and credit of the United States hostage. So Janet Yellen sent another letter to Speaker McCarthy with copies to uh, every other leader uh, of a party in Congress and said, in essence, um, I told you two weeks ago it was going to be on or about the 1st of June, give or take. And she said that again today. And if you listen to Marketplace this afternoon, you'll hear a whole bunch of stories about why and what's going on and all of that. What I want to talk about right now is what is already happening in the financial markets because of what is happening in Washington. And here's a quote from Janet Yellen's letter. In fact, we have already seen Treasury's borrowing costs increase substantially for securities maturing in early June. And if you look Mm. at the yield on the one-month Treasury, okay, now the United States Department of the Treasury borrows money at all durations, right? It's There's overnight money, there's one-month money, there's 10-year money, there's 30-year money, there's all kinds. One-month money is money that will expire into this crisis, right? If you bought a a one-month Treasury today, it's going to expire right into the middle of this crisis. And rates for that are already going up. That is to say, people are demanding higher interest rates from the Treasury Department because they are not sure if Washington knows what it's doing. (laughs) If you look at the chart, about six or eight weeks ago, a one month was going for 3.3%, right? That was the yield. Today, Mm -hmm. it's about 5.5%. And when you're borrowing at the volumes of American dollars that the U.S. Treasury Department is borrowing at, a two percentage point increase is a lot. It's yeah. a lot. So that's item number one. Item number two is actually a fascinating tweet by uh, David Wessel, who used to be uh, at the Wall Street Journal and is now at Brookings. He cites uh, Piper Sandler's projection. Of, Piper Sandler is a big uh, accounting and consulting and, and uh, research firm. Um, and he cites their tracking of how much cash the United States government has on hand at any given time. Yeesh. That's okay. an ugly chart. <laughs> it is an ugly chart, and here's here's why. Here's why. So the United States uh, uh, government is a multi-trillion dollar operation, and it is not, repeat, not like running a business. But 
there are parts of it that are similar. And and I said this on the show today, so I guess I am repeating content. But one mm-hmm. of the ways that the government is similar to a business is that cash flow matters, right? You got to get money in so you can get money out. Money in for the government is tax receipts and a whole bunch of other stuff, but mostly tax receipts. Money out is payrolls and social security and interest on the debt and all kinds of other stuff. Anyway, and so the government likes to have a nice tidy sum on hand, a little float so that they can not really worry about running out of cash, okay? Piper mm-hmm. Sandler is predicting that the first couple of weeks of June, we might get down to $25 billion cash on hand. And that is a staggeringly small amount of money in a multi-trillion dollar economy. So we, whether or not Kevin McCarthy and President Biden make a deal, whether or not the Republicans finally decide not to hold the full faith and credit of the United States hostage, things are already happening. And we are so close to the edge. That's my news for Well, and what's also in this tweet is is the reason the first couple of weeks of June are yeah. dicey is because Thank then the, on yes. June 15th is when another round of sort of quarterly tax receipts come in for the people yep. who have to pay, you know, in installments yep. throughout the year, which will give a bit more of a buffer. And given what's happening here in D.C., I would not be surprised if someone's like, you know, someone being, you know, parties in Congress saying if we hit it, you know, on June 1st, you know, well, we're going to play chicken with each other for two weeks until this next round comes in in order to see who blinks first. That's not an unrealistic possibility. No, not, not, no. In fact, it's quite realistic, I would say. I would bet that there are conversations happening on the sidelines of whatever these meetings are saying, let's just stretch it out a little, see how it goes. Treasury's going to say this. Treasury will figure it out. Anyway, we're closer than anybody thinks. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Um, Mine are also, oddly enough, related to taxes, um, but in a completely different way. So first of all, one of the interesting bits within the Inflation Reduction Act when that law was passed is that the Congress told the IRS to start looking into the option to have a free file program that the government provided. We talked about this on the show. Mm -hmm. This is years and years ago when Congress said that there needed to be a free file option. Part of the caveat they put on it was that the government could not provide the free file service. They had to outsource it to private companies. Private companies were supposed to be letting people below certain income thresholds with simple tax returns file their taxes for free. But what really ended up happening, and hat tip to ProPublica for some amazing reporting on this, was that they would hide those free file sites behind all sorts of hoops that you had to jump through. Mm. And what ended up happening was tons and tons of people who were eligible to file for free ended up paying to file. And so the federal government is trying to fix this by, you know, cracking down on those companies, saying you have to make it easier to find, which meant that some of those companies decided to pull out of even offering the free file service because they couldn't make any more money on it. So in the Inflation Reduction Act, Congress said, okay, IRS, lots of other countries in the world do this themselves by the government. You look into it. Apparently they have been. And according to the Washington Post, they've been secretly sort of testing out, not secretly, but quietly building a prototype system that would allow Americans to file, I'm reading here, file tax returns digitally and free of charge. And, you know, this is a system developed by the IRS, the White House, the U.S. Digital Service. 
And it's a pilot program, and a couple of uh, tax, a small group of taxpayers are going to be trying it out. And I'm, you know, I'm just watching with great interest because this has uh, the potential to hopefully save people some grief, but also save mm-hmm. a lot of people money because, you know, so many people paid file their taxes when they don't have to. Okay, so that's tax story, I guess, number two, since we were just talking about mm-hmm. tax receipts. Yeah, uh, yeah, tax yeah. story number three, I know, who, who knew taxes were so exciting? Yeah. There is an amazing story in the New York Times, um, and I'm just going to read the headline. How to raise $89 million in small donations and make it disappear. Oh, yeah. I've talked uh, quite a bit over time about the various ways that in campaign finance, money gets moved around in these secret groups and – 501c4s, PACs, super PACs, and dark money, and all the various ways that money gets moved around between campaigns, campaign committees, and donors, and secret groups, and industry groups, and you can't always track where it is. And so what the New York Times did was they looked a little bit at the Federal Election Commission filings, but what they also looked at were IRS filings, and they discovered this group of conservative operatives that were using robocalls to raise millions and millions of dollars from small-dollar donors for conservative causes and basically just paid themselves back with it. They made hardly any Mm. political contributions with this money. They just fundraised to fund their fundraising operations, effectively creating this circular economy within themselves, enriching themselves. What jumped out to me in this story was their use of robocalls. And there's technology that they were using to make these robocalls that made them sound so authentic. So Yes, there were call centers overseas involved, but rather than just having a recording or someone who doesn't sound stereotypically American on the other line, the people would have these pre-recorded prompts. So you could push a button, you know, someone's like, oh, is this a robot? Is this a recording? You could push a button and have it play out. No, I'm a real person and I'm blah, 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 sounding like an actual American. I got one of these calls and I remember so clearly because it, it was some guy who they said was called like Frank or something like that. And I remember the phone, the, here it is, the Frank Wallace calling for the American Police Officers Alliance. I 100% remember getting this robocall. I remember thinking oh, it sounded so a little funny. odd. I remember saying, hey, is, is, is this a recording? And he's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm, this is a real person. And I said, you know, I'm not allowed to, to make, you know, political contributions. And I remember hearing the disappointment in his voice. Yeah. You know, like, you know, no, I, yeah. I understand. Well, if there's anything and, and it's it was all recorded. It was all recorded and I totally fell for it. And I didn't give him any money, of course, but millions of people well not millions yeah. of people. Yeah, people gave yeah. millions of dollars to this. So anyway, yeah. uh it's a really interesting story about loopholes in the campaign finance system and the way that technology is factoring into political fundraising, which is probably going to get even more intense now with all this artificial intelligence and generative AI getting so much better at cloning voices. And yeah, uh, I would recommend that people be extraordinarily cautious when someone calls you to ask for a donation over the phone, Mm -hmm. unless it's from your local public radio station. Oh, snap. Good job.
Thank you. Thank you. I try. (laughs) Juan Carlos, let's go. That was awesome. All right, keep going, Kimberly. You're on a roll. Okay, hat tip uh, to Pete uh, on Mastodon. Yes, because I'm using Mastodon a lot. Uh, Pete flagged this story in Ars Technica for me as a make me smile. And I think it is fantastic, which is this private company that is trying to rescue slash reactivate the Spitzer Space Telescope, which, to be honest, I had never even heard of this. Okay. So this was one of the several telescopes that was supposed to, you know, be part of NASA's four great observatories put into space from 1990 to 2003. And Hubble was one of those. There was another one that like fell into the sea. And uh, James Webb is is, is one of those. The Spitzer one was in an orbit that ended up just getting further and further away. And so now we just can't really um, get information from it anymore. So uh, Pete linked also to another Mastodon thread from Thomas Connor. And here's how they describe it. Unlike the first three, which are in Earth-centric orbits, Spitzer was a drifter. It slowly moved away from Earth, but on roughly the same orbit. We retired it because it was too far, but it still should be functioning. And so Mm. now there's a private company that rather than trying to send a new space observatory out there, they want to basically hitch a ride on one of the other rockets, like going to the moon or something, and then have another... Um, space vehicle kind of veer off to the side, go catch up with Spitzer and like attach a new antenna to it so that we can use it again. That'd it's so cool. cool. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting story. So um, yes, you should read the Ars Technica, Ars Technica article, this wonderful thread and hat tip. Thank you, Pete, for this really cool story. Yeah, that's what I got. Mine is, yeah, it's a super cool story. Mine is also space-related. Just a quick HR update on space and SpaceX. So uh, they have hired a woman named Kathy Luters, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, who just retired out of NASA to work on human spaceflight for the Starship, which is the one that just, yes, exploded. But they're going to get there eventually. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's really interesting how SpaceX, thank you very much, uh, Gwen Shotwell, is plowing ahead. Fail early, fail often. And keep your eyes, you know, going forward. That's kind of what they do. And now they're getting serious about getting into human spaceflight, not just on the Crew Dragon thing, which they've sent to the ISS six or seven times now, but on the ginormous Starship, which hopefully will get us to the moon. Well, will get us to the moon because otherwise we're not going. Uh, and then Mars, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. Yeah. Anyway, that's it. Just an it's HR update. Cool. Kathy Luters is her name. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, super quick, just because, you know, it's time. It's that time of the podcast. It's that time of the week. It's that time of the year. Um, This is Pledge Week. Match Monday here at Marketplace. Today, your gifts will be matched up to $20,000. So if we have one person give $20,000, boom, the rest of you are off the hook. But if not, your gift, (laughs) however small, will be matched up to a total of $20,000 because of the Investor's Challenge Fund. Your gift goes twice as far. Remember, the goal, it's a biggie, is $350,000 this time. Right. And if you've been waiting, you know, there's no day like today to make a gift. And it really does make a huge impact. I mean, just, you know, over the weekend, we've got more news about the financial 
problems of the media industry and how expensive and hard it is to do meaningful journalism. And so we would really appreciate your support. The match component is good for today only. So if you can give today, that would double your donation. And you can do that at marketplace.org slash give smart, or you can click on the link in the show notes. Please and thank you, as a friend of mine says. <laughs> Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Today's program was engineered by Juan Carlos Dorado. Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Our intern is Antonio Barreras. Marissa Cabrera is our senior producer. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. I didn't even know about this other telescope, though. This is so cool. No, me neither. Never heard of it. You know all the biggies, right? You know Hubble and the rest of them? You don't know this one. Yeah. Kind of wild. Kind of wild. It is. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I was spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.